You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hey, have you noticed more gyms, fitness studios, wellness centres today than there were, say, a decade ago? I've tried them all, okay? Yoga, Pilates, weight training. I've also spent on massages, acupuncture, cupping, facials, aromatherapy, not to mention the amount I set aside every month for medical insurance and other health plans that I'm meant to take note of. And it's all in pursuit of keeping well. I am Andrea Hing. Hello, and this is Money Talks. And no, we haven't turned this podcast into a health zine. In this episode, we're going to talk about how much we're spending on our health and wellness. According to the Global Wellness Institute, Singapore is home to a whopping 12 billion US dollar wellness economy. So it's safe to say it's a pretty big industry. We are expected to live well into our 80s. And now we even have a national campaign to get us into tip-top shape. Health and wellness are such big topics in Singapore. It even dominates social media, okay? It's got its own genre, fitspos and healthspos. So I think it's safe to say being healthy has outlasted being a trend. It's a full-on life goal now. So how much should we be spending on our health? And how much is too much? Let's get some people to help us out. We have Kenneth Lowe and Dr. Ryan Ware from Mito Health on the podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us on Money Talks. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Okay, so I wanted to start with that number, the 12 billion magic number. It's a wellness economy and includes 1.6 billion on physical activity. I'm guessing this is your gyms and your health studio, your fitness studios, right? 1.7 billion on nutrition and weight loss, 4.2 billion on personal care and beauty. So to me, these are pretty big numbers for such a small country. Is this a lot to you? Well, that is the reason also why we exist. We do think that it is big, but it is slated to grow even bigger. Mm. And the main reason is that is because, generally speaking, Singapore is a very developed country, forward-looking, and the demands of a population that is forward-looking mm. tend to be in above the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Oh, right? yes. Right? So, And part of that is self-actualization. It's things to do like, I want to do a marathon this year. I want to lift this amount of weights. I want to be able to lift to 100 and mm. beyond. And all those things naturally put us in that position where, right. where you see. Yeah. Okay. So the pandemic is widely credited for this uptick in health and wellness spending. It's brought that awareness to us a lot more to the surface. Am I right to say that? Yeah, I would think so. I think a lot of us not only had a lot of time to ourselves to think, but also to realise that everyone's getting older. Mm. Singapore, clear example of uh, ageing population even though we expect based on previous estimates that all of us are going to live to 80, 84 in mm. Singapore on average, we can probably expect that number to go up in the future and we expect more centenarians, people that live to 100. Oh, we're going to be the next Japan. Yeah, hopefully. But I mean, blue <laughs> zones, right? We've the won. economy should be better, hopefully. Ah, uh, <laughs> fingers crossed. But yeah, with all of that, plus the time to think and to realise that we're ageing, not getting fitter, not recovering as well from lack of sleep, not mm. recovering as well from COVID. Oh, don't start talking to me about lack of sleep. I host the morning <laughs> show on radio. It is a problem. And yeah. we chronically, Singaporeans, don't get enough. We really don't. Yeah. 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 I would actually offer like a, another worldview, which is that I would credit this whole 
being healthy and fit to the rise of social media Absolutely. and tech, right? So we talked about Fitspo, mm-hmm. you see your peers. I uh, tell you, the pressure is worse than pressure. having a PT, okay? Exactly. You see a version of yourself <laughs> that you could become. I know. And it's in ads, it's in your friends, it's yeah. in your influencers. In your so podcast. In your podcast. Every pod- podcast. <laughs> every podcast. <laughs> in podcast yeah. too, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're constantly feeling the pressure to, to optimize your health and, and not just your health, right? Your wealth, everything yes. around, every aspect of life. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. immense pressure to just be the best we should be mm. rather than the best we can be. But that's a separate topic for another time, I'm mm. sure. Okay, so this is purely a personal observation. But I think we're not the healthiest nation food-wise mm. since our sodium intake is up. But we're certainly very health and wellness concerned. Do you think Singaporeans are well invested in their health? Yeah. I, I can offer a very direct view. So I think from a food point of view, with the recent like nutri grade labels, like those things really help in making like a more informed decision. Mm-hmm. And I think something that was quoted on the Netflix Blue Zones documentary oh, yeah. as well was that how do you make healthy the default choice? Yes. And I think that's something, you know, in, in the sense of like taking the public transports, walking and like going to the supermarket, knowing where the healthier choice food sections mm-hmm. are. Even at the hawker centres, there would always be a healthy option and mm-hmm. it's not always an obscure option. It's right front and centre. Yeah. So convenience is there to choose the healthy options. Mm. That's how we perceive okay. that. Yeah. Okay. I did watch that episode yeah. of Blue Zone yes. with Singapore in it and there was a bit of criticism about how mm. Singapore is not actually naturally a blue zone Mm. but I think like you said the government efforts to really put health and wellness front and centre forcing you to make healthier choices consciously I think it's a good move we may be an engineered blue zone engineered blue zone but I think it's still a good move in the right direction especially as you said Ryan how we're going to be an aging society in no time by 2030 one in four of us is going to be above the age of 60 that is scary Yep, it really is. And I guess the other thing was the family ties, the emotional health that plays a huge role in Mm. aging well, Mm -hmm. aging with fulfillment, and even living longer. Yeah. So in your observation, what do we Singaporeans tend to spend the most money on when it comes to health and wellness? Insurance is a big one, Mm -hmm. and it's a must in my view. Mm -hmm. So coming from a finance background as well, like insurance we always say is your best defense, like it's your goalkeeper, right? And I 100% stand by that. Mm -hmm. Like everyone I meet, even though I have no incentive to say it, just get your insurance in order before you just look at investing or Mm -hmm. endowments and all this because that's the thing that will pay you when you really need it. Mm -hmm. And having felt that with my dad as well. Ah, okay. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so my dad had brain cancer and then the moment that he got brain cancer, we were given a payout because Mm -hmm. of critical illness coverage and then that was a rider on his life policies. Right. And... When he passed on at 54, very young, very right? young. then we got a payout from the life and that prevented us from having to sell our homes. Mm. And it's not immediately understandable to people who haven't gone through those things yeah. and you might think it's marketing or advertising. Yeah. And I think but, a lot of people yeah. are not ready to face their mortality mm. or the mortality of their loved ones because yeah. we, we do take for granted that they're going to be around forever, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, people might think it's like fear-mongering and, but it is real. Like, these stories exist. Well, I am sorry to yeah. hear of your father's passing at such a young That's age. Life. Yeah, That's life. Yeah, it is life yeah. but it's stories like these that we really are yeah. in need of. It serves as the right kind of advice and guidance when it comes to what you should and should not do mm. when it comes to preparing for the next stage of our lives. Right? It yeah. takes something abstract and makes it much more visceral. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Well mm. said. Okay, so let's ask you a personal question, guys. How much do you spend 
from your monthly income on average on your health and wellness. So this is your gyms, your yoga studios, and then also your supplements, everything, the whole nine yards. Give it to us. I think I personally spend around like 20%. I look at it more annual basis mm. because it is like a health budget that I have in mind. You have a health budget? Yeah, so since COVID okay. actually. So COVID was the time that I really said, okay, you know what? If I'm going to spend this amount on insurance, mm. shouldn't I be spending the same amount on actually preventative strategies? Because insurance, if you look at it, is more like a stop loss, right? Yes. Right. But what you want to do is to not hit that stop loss. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to be in control. Right. And then that's where other financial influencers and bloggers were talking about working out, spending on personal training, spending on supplements, spending on healthy food, mm-hmm. which is actually more expensive. It is. Yeah. It is. So then I took that approach and I created the budget for it. Wow. And that budget is 20% of your annual 20% wages. Annual, yeah. okay. Together about- with my wife. Yeah. Ah, so, so it's a combined Combined healthy- budget. So we go to like a personal trainer and we share the cost together. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. That's smart. One, two for one. Okay. And yeah. if and when you do have kids, is that something that you're going to extend to them as well? That I budget? have a little boy now and Ryan soon to be dead as well. Oh, yes. wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. So I've got some catching up to do. Contributing to the national <laughs> yeah. service. Yeah, so. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So that health budget that mm. you and your wife yeah. share, is that going to be extended to your son as well? Yeah, we're starting with the insurance. So the moment sure. he was born, like we got him insurance mm. uh, from day one. Mm-hmm. And it's best always to get it because premiums only go up with inflation. Oh, yeah. Right. So mm. so that's a big thing we did. But okay. not the personal training. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, for okay. now. But okay. maybe exercise, you know. Yeah, it's sure. It's a big yeah. lifestyle thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So can you just tell me really briefly what that budget constitutes so Mm. obviously your insurance is in there what else is in there there? like your membership any membership subscriptions number two would be the gym that we go to every weekend okay so that's like a pt yeah okay what about you ryan so mine would probably be lower than that closer to just under 10 percent, i would say of my annual income right likewise the big majority goes to insurance Mm. the rest i don't have a gym membership but i built a small gym for myself oh so right one-off investment hopefully it balances out in the long run (laughs) and I guess other than that there's a little bit that goes to supplements for myself Mm. primarily to meet the nutritional requirements that I don't typically get in my day-to-day Singaporean diet but realistically besides insurance the biggest investment is time for myself okay walk me through that so I mean when it comes to health and fitness and nutrition yes healthier foods tend to be more expensive. Yes, spending money on a gym membership can be useful and motivational to keep you in line. Mm -hmm. But that being said, even if you can't afford that, I think there's much to be done if all you have is time to invest. Yeah, it's putting in the time to show up. That's right. But again, life gets in the way and life always wins. So to me, it's more about building small habits that accrue over time. Mm. And in the same way that you invest money to accumulate wealth, you invest time, you invest money, maybe, to accumulate health. Yeah. Mm. And it compounds. That's yeah. an excellent analogy. I never thought of it that way. Mm. Okay. I always thought of it as, oh, you got to change your habits and that's how you're going to sustain something. You have to build sustainable habits. But thinking of it from a time horizon perspective, that's refreshing. So thank you for that. Okay. So for the purposes of budgeting, is that is 10 to 20% of your monthly income, is that something you would propose to anyone out there, including me? Is that what you would propose spending on health and wellness, would you say? I, I think it's hard to make such blankets statements. Okay. I mean, very much dependent on your own individual yeah. priorities. situation, priorities. Mm. But realistically, aside from insurance, like Kenneth mentioned, in terms of budget, I would say the more important takeaway here is that you need to allocate a certain budget for it. Okay. Because most of us assume that it's free and it's not. It's an investment. It's, yeah. So having that 
planning, that forecasting, to put that money aside and know that I'm investing this for my health. Mm -hmm. I'm spending this on my health and I should use this budget. Is something that I think many people can take away. Yeah, okay. And mm. to you, Kenneth, how, how do you think we should prioritize what to spend on? Both of you have agreed that insurance is right at the top. And I think from a very conceptual manner of speaking, time is a worthy investment as well. So, But when it comes to the, the dollars and cents, what else do you think should be essential? I think some form of fitness-related spend. So mm. everyone has a different gem right like, yeah. you know, like yoga you like spinning mm -hmm. you like pilates or you like personal training at the gym or weightlifting even running so like I know a lot of people because I was training for triathlons right people wow. do spend to be in triathlon clubs and it's actually quite a big thing wow okay so they come together mm -hmm. they book out the track one lane and then they run it together right. at Badook Stadium mm -hmm. or wherever so those like finding that community it's important because like Ryan said, right, it's about the motivation and motivation comes stronger when you are doing it with people you want to do. Oh, yeah. But how much is too much? Well, I think if you are starting to forego other aspects of life and you're just <laughs> spending, with anything, it's about balance. Sure. Uh, anything in life is about balance. So mm. if you're starting to, to deprioritize your family spending or like your movie nights mm. with, your, with your wife or spouse. I like that right? you are prioritizing yeah, date night. Yeah. You, <laughs> Can you I just to. say? Yeah. <laughs> It, all these things take time and money. It's like different aspects of your life that you really need to sort of balance, right? Mm. I, I would agree with Kenneth that mm. it's, it's an opportunity cost problem. It's yeah. choosing yeah. what you spend on and if it takes away from anything else, then that's something that you have to decide on your own. Yeah. That being said, this same concept of opportunity costs extends across the board for even nutrition things. Yeah. Like choosing to enjoy a bubble tea, choosing yeah. to enjoy your <laughs> wine and whiskey. Yeah. By all means, do so. Yeah. yeah. By all means, do so. Yeah. Just... Do it sensibly knowing what your budget is. And what for... your body's budget is. Exactly. So what's your body's budget? Yeah. And what's your time budget, right? Yeah. I mean, en enjoy your wine by yeah. all means. It's just know what you're taking away at yeah. the same time. And if it makes sense for you, by all means. That's yeah. wise. That's wise, yeah. Okay, so outside of the physical, there's mental wellness as well. It's become increasingly important and as an investment for a lot of people. And indeed, the, the segments overlap, right? Yeah. I mean, one could argue that spending on meditation therapy or even seeing a counsellor mm. or even yoga, for mm. example, those can also be beneficial to mental health. But what other aspects of mental wellness do you see people paying for these days, at least in Singapore, from your observations? Yeah, I can share a point of view that is also a very recent trend since COVID, mm. right? It's mm. really the involvement of corporates. So, you know, if we take take us back to the dark days of uh, being <laughs> stuck at home. Over time, people realise that social and that mental aspect, being at work together with your colleagues is actually a very big part of your life. Mm. And that's where corporates stepped in to really allocate budgets. And then, you know, there were a bunch of mental health startups that really took off from the COVID wave. And I think that did wonders mm. for the emotional health space as well. Oh, yeah. It really destigmatized it. Oh, so yeah. people, seeing therapists is... Very well accepted now. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, you tell ask me this 10 years ago when mental health was still relatively taboo, but you can mention it. Today, fast forward in 2023, you can talk about it like it's a normal topic. Yeah. And I think in the same way that we talk about spending on emotional health, mm. same thing applies. Yeah. Money, time on mental health yeah. is essential mm -hmm. because... Even if you talk about the longevity biohackers, why live to 120 if you're miserable? Exactly. Why live to 120 if you can't enjoy? Quality over quantity, right? That's mm. right. Mm. And 
even if we're talking about quantity, there are tons of studies that look at emotional health and living longer. Mm-hmm. And there is correlations. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They come yeah. together. The happy gene. We need to build that happy gene and strengthen it. Let's talk about insurance. We mm. mentioned it a little bit earlier, right? Yeah. So I know you're not insurance agents. You're not financial advisors, but you are in the health and wellness sphere. So you're privy to health-related spending trends. Is there such a thing as being over-insured? One is on the individual front on whether you are over-insured. And I think we will go deeper to understand how the model even works mm-hmm. and why it's tied to healthy aging. Sure. So the first one is that we recommend in, in, the, in the financial world is the mm-hmm. five times of your annual. So however much you're earning, let's say you're earning 100000 right. right? So the coverage expected should be around 500000 okay. in the event you mm-hmm. die. Okay. So that we always correspond life insurance to death because okay. the opposite of life is death. death, right? Right. So when you die, who is going to need the money? Mm. Who will actually care whether you are not That's around? That's right. So usually it's for your dependents, which is like your kids or your spouse mm-hmm. or your parents if they're still around. And often we talk about buy term, invest the rest. Mm. So term insurance is more directly related to protection. Right. So then everything else is like you can invest your own money in your endowments or your your own uh, S&P 500 or like your robo-advisors mm. and stuff. Mm. So that's life insurance is like top priority. Second sure. priority is uh, H&S, which is like hospital and surgical. Right. Health insurance. Right. It's like the same terminology. Your medical insurance. Medical kinda, insurance. Yeah. So the government has a great policy already for everyone, mm-hmm. uh, which is like B-class watts yes. uh, and below. But if you want public A or private, that's when you they say increase the coverage of your HNS insurance. Right. So something that I do as well, which okay. I know most people who are working adults do. Yeah. Uh, because they want better treatment in mm. the event that they get into an accident or they fall sick. Mm-hmm. One more to add is rider, which is critical illness. I'm very kiasu. <laughs> I have ECI. Early yes. critical illness. So do I. I yes. recently signed yeah. up for yeah. that. My yeah. financial planner was very insistent on yeah. that. And I think, especially for women, I think we tend to be a little mm. bit more susceptible to ECI. And that links to what we are doing actually, which is, which is detection. Because mm. now every year your annual screenings, people are doing it even by like half a year. So wow. six months. And then you will be able to pick up more and more of these things as the technology improves, mm. as the methods mm. improve. So I think planning ahead for early detection of critical illness is important because you get a lump sum payout Yes, and then you can decide what is the treatment that you want to correct, do. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah, okay. Hello, my name is Steve Lai. And I'm Teresa Tang. And we are the hosts of CNA Correspondent. A podcast that takes you to the heart of the work our correspondents do across the globe. From China's COVID response to the child care center massacre in Thailand. And from the fall of Najib Razak to the rise of Anwar Ibrahim as Malaysia's prime minister. We speak to the people at the reporting front lines. So if you want to know how the biggest global stories unfold, make sure you follow or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. So there's this new concept that we read about recently and that's insurance that is specific to Mm. mental health. It's really, really new, Mm. pretty nascent. I've only really seen one or two insurance companies that offer this. What it entails, well, it basically means you can claim from your insurance policy appointments that relate to mental health or treatments that relate Mm. to mental health. Since we're already spending on other forms of mental and emotional well-being packages out there, do you think this kind of insurance is necessary? Yeah. So I would 
answer it from the point of view of the earlier question, which is how the insurance system works. Ah, yes. Which is basically they are protecting for risk. Mm-hmm. So it's linked to wanting you as a policyholder to stay healthy for as long as possible. It's an incentive. It's an incentive to mm. stay healthy. It's good for them. It's sure. good for business, mm-hmm. right? In this case of the mental wellness side of things, is that there is an incidence of increased reports of depression, yeah. of therapy, anxiety, and anxiety yeah. which is understandable because it's like a pressure cooker, right? Like mm. the pressure to succeed and yeah. pressure to do well. The pressure to look good yeah. and feel good. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say the actuarial people... So actuarial, is, actuarial science is where they predict risk and how do they price risk, right? Got it. Where the okay. insurers come in and, and they do the how much premiums you're ah, paying. Got it. So I'm sure that they have a model where they have uh, mapped out where it makes money for them because they exist as profit-driven companies mm-hmm. as well. This is a trend. Anything can be insured. It's how much you pay only. That's sure. the number one line yeah. I learned in insurance. <laughs> is that you can insure your water bottle, you can insure your laptop. Oh, yeah. Everything. Insure your life all the way to your life because life is the big one. Right? Yeah. Life and death. Correct. But everything can be insured. So in this case, mental wellness was a trend. Mm. They saw it. They saw the opportunity. They want to go after and insure it. Okay. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Mm. I hear what you're saying. Okay. You talked about this earlier also. Employers having a role to play in our health and mental well-being. And we are seeing a lot more companies providing monetary allowances for these. So as an employee, how do you factor that into your budget? Do you think, okay, my company's covering me for this. Should I still also get this? The mm. same kind of coverage, the same kind of package? My company's paying me $1,000 a year for a gym membership. Should I also top up to do something else, like add a Pilates membership yeah. on top of that? Like, how do you think we should factor that into our budget? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I, I so. think it definitely should be part of the budget. I mean, again, the limiting factor is not always money. The limiting factor is often time. Mm-hmm. So whatever fits within your time and that maximizes your outcomes, by all means, spend it and spend more if you need to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At $1,000, I would think, for most people, that would be quite sufficient. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But realistically, if you can't, go to a spin class if you can't go for your studios then no why point. spend the money yeah. right? right so I, I would base that decision on your time okay so on average companies spend around $600 yearly on benefits right mm. and usually it's like four categories the first one being health screenings mm-hmm. dental being the second one third one being like GP medical like yeah. telemedicine and then the last one being wellness mm. so usually it's a combination of these four things that you right. can actually claim from and 100% you should spend it because it's part of your compensation mm-hmm. if you don't spend it it's gone yeah so herein lies the question when we decide to leave the company mm. how does that change then what do we need to financially consider yeah. when we decide to leave the company so something that's happening is the uh, insurance side. So a lot of people, again, in the financial community mm-hmm. world, they realize that they overemphasize on like how much the company cares for them in terms of the insurance coverage. And then they forget to buy their own insurance. Yes. And yes. it's dangerous because uh, in a market like that, you know, with wars happening everywhere, like your job is not that certain at yes. the end of the day. So you should take care of yourself uh, and allocate that budget yeah, don't mm. just rely on the company. I'm with you here. Yeah. No one is indispensable mm-hmm. at the workplace, right? Yeah. You should never just rely on one source, especially when that source is finite. I feel, I subscribe to the, it's okay, I'll be kiasu and buy my own stuff, my own yeah. plans and my own coverage. And at least that puts me at ease. Yeah, I think one more point, going back two questions ago, talking mm-hmm. about that budget. Again. Yes. So some people's uh, wellness budget or health budget is flexible. Mm-hmm. You get to distribute it the way you want to. Others are fixed. Yeah. For those that are flexible, how do you spend it? 
is probably another question that we get asked fairly frequently. Mm. And I think the main one, I think a lot of people think about it as, oh, I have $1,000 of wellness. I haven't spent it in December. So I'm just going to blow all of it on the health screening. <laughs> yeah. Which is probably not the wisest move. Mm. And I think the expenditure on health screening, which takes up a big chunk of it. It does, yeah should scale with age. So it depends on your risk. Mm. You should spend accordingly. Mm. If you're 25-year-old with really good insurance for some reason, $1,000, I wouldn't <laughs> blow all 1000 on health screening, right? Yeah. Because realistically, the risk of any disease is low. I would go for a low-end health screening mm-hmm. and spend the rest of it on things that actually have a higher value at this point in time, mm. right? Mm. Time value of health, time value of money. Yeah. Mm. So I would spend it on things more on the wellness, mm. fitness, nutrition side. Yeah. And of course, probably twice a year dental. Okay, yeah, you should. Twice a year, please. You brought up a great point, Ryan, in that we often think that when we spend on insurance or when we spend on health and wellness, it's going to be the same amount and it's going to be in the same priorities throughout your lifetime. But when you grow older complications happen That's right. sometimes you have genetic diseases but you also pick up some along the way sort of stuff and a lot of these things are unpredictable and then you have to start rejigging your health budget right speaking of health budgets mine as a woman is a lot higher than my husband's mm. and indeed there are reports out there that show that women have to fork out more than men on health care and unfortunately, by virtue of the so-called pink tax, women just have to budget for a higher expenditure. And I think that also in itself carries bigger financial risks because we're kind of carrying a heavier debt burden compared to men. So how can women be in a financially healthy position while also ensuring their physical health is well taken care of? I think on paper, if you look at the actuarial side of things, again, mm. from an insurance point of view, uh, women do live longer than men. Yes. Insurance companies are profit-driven as well. Mm. They would factor these things into the premiums and there's, there has to be a reason behind that. Mm. So I think that's one part of it. Another sure. part of it is in terms of the screening and the diagnosis that that women need to do. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, on the medical side, there are additional tests that women need to do because mm. just because based on risk, right? Right. So things like breast cancer. Mm-hmm most common cancer in women. Cervical cancer is something that you want to screen for regularly. Mm-hmm. Plus, get your HPV vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, there's other less obvious, more subtle kind of risks like right. Alzheimer's disease. So it's mm. more prevalent in women. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. And there are osteoporosis, fractures. Yeah. Mm. Because of menopause, you lose estrogen. Yes. That's a higher risk there too. So thinking about that and allocating that spending accordingly is probably worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Do I have any solutions for this? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the way it is, right? Yeah. Women yeah. just tend to be more susceptible to these things by nature. The converse is also true though. I mean, of course, men have other diseases that are more oh, yeah. common in men, yeah. that happen in men, that don't happen in women. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you on balance that, that there seems to be, uh, throughout the life cycle, more things for women to spend on when it comes to health screening. Yeah. Mammograms, pap smears, yeah. that, that do add up. Yeah. So health, it is wealth. That's how the saying goes, right? Mm. After all, what use are the mind, the body and the spirit if they cannot let you live your best life? If you've never been sure of why you should make the investment in your health and wellness, then we hope this episode has been enlightening. Thank you, Kenneth and Ryan, for giving us plenty of reasons to make this financial move and the considerations for budgeting for it as well. And of course, a big thank you to you, listener. We're so glad you enjoy our episodes. Please keep those comments coming. 
especially if you like this episode or any other episodes that you've enjoyed listening to. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And guess what? We're now on YouTube Music too. All you gotta do is search CNA Money Talks and you'll be on your way. The team behind Money Talks is Jacqueline Chan, Joanne Chan, Tiffany Ang, Crispina Robert, Saya Wint, and I'm Andrea Hank.